Father God, thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to dig into your word, to learn a little bit more about your servant Jacob um, and what this story can mean for us in application. God, help us get through all of the chapters we need to get through tonight and um, just bless us with extra knowledge of who you are and your plan uh, and give us an extra special love for you as we learn more about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're focused on Jacob tonight. We've been kind of been going through the four patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph uh, will be next week. We started to cover Jacob's story last week at the end of sort of where Isaac is the focus. So Jacob is born in chapter 25, um, him and his twin brother, and they're even fighting in the womb. God says that's because there's two nations in the womb, so that makes sense. Um, but Jacob and Esau have a pretty tenuous relationship. Esau is sort of rugged and hairy and uh, red, which he's red and hairy. That's why he's named Esau and why his name gets changed to Edom, which means red. And uh, Jacob and Esau, they're opposites. Jacob, on the other hand, is a very smooth, sort of an indoorsy kind of a guy. Uh, and they don't like each other. But Rachel, um, I'm sorry, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, while she was pregnant, um, was told by God that the younger, would, uh, the younger would be the one who gets the blessing, that the older would serve the younger. And so she saw God, God's provision for Jacob, and she sort of favored Jacob while Isaac sort of favored Esau. Uh, and that came to fruition in where we ended last week, where Isaac is really uh, looking to bless Esau because that's his favorite son. And he's looking to go against God's word, but God still makes it work. Um, and unfortunately, he had to make it work through a lot of family dysfunction because Rebecca and Isaac were working against each other, Jacob and Esau were working against each other, and the family had this sort of crazy blow-up. Um, and Jacob and Rebecca trick Isaac into giving um, Jacob Esau's blessing, which he had already sold to Jacob legitimately anyway. And Jacob is sort of this seedy character. He knows about God. He understands the faith that his father and his grandfather had, but he doesn't really seem to understand how to act when it comes to worshiping God. I think a lot of us either know someone like that or have dealt with that, where we've seen sort of our parents' faith. I see that a lot with the teenagers as I work with youth. They have an understanding of who God is. Um, I've seen a lot, you know, with, with people who've, who've gotten baptized over the years as I've served in ministry, where they've said, you know, I was baptized as a kid, so I always thought that I was a Christian, but then when they actually took ownership of their own faith, they understood that it wasn't about growing up in church or what their parents believed. It's really about knowing God personally. And so this is the chapter 28 we're picking up today is sort of the start of Jacob's journey of moving past Isaac's faith and sort of taking ownership of his own faith. Um, he, because he stole uh, Esau's blessing, he's on his way away. Um, but Isaac, if you remember what we said last week, when he noticed that he gave the blessing to the wrong kid, I say that in quotations because it was the right kid, it's who God wanted to have be blessed, he, he noticed it. And he didn't take away the blessing from Jacob because he realized God's will was being done. And so Jacob is now scared because Esau's mad 
And Esau is, remember, the rugged, like, outdoorsy killer. And Jacob is the smooth weakling. Um, and so he needs to get out. Rebecca wants Jacob to leave. And you pick up in verse 1. And it says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Badan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So Isaac is now finally looking out for Jacob's best interest. He knows he needs to get away. And then he even sort of calls out Esau in the first verse. He says, go and, and don't take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, which is something Esau already did. So Esau is now learning about what his dad doesn't like about him. Is don't take away from the daughters of Canaan, but go to Bethuel, go to Padan Aram, which is exactly where Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was from. He said, go to the place where your mother's from, go see your uncle Laban, and get away from there. And then he offers him the blessing, the continuation of the covenant with Abraham, and he passes it down to Jacob, saying that, may your descendants be with you and inherit the land. So from this, Esau goes and he marries someone from Ishmael's line, because he realized his parents were not proud of him for having wives from Canaanites. And uh, that doesn't really help his case, but I think Ishmael or, uh, Esau is trying to cling to the last hope that maybe he'll get some more favor from his father as he failed. And then Jacob picks up in verse 10. So Jacob went out to Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones on that place and put it at his head. So he's laying down a rock to sleep on. And he lay down on that place to sleep. And the rock was his pillow. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants." Also your descendants shall be the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning. He took a stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. And Jacob realizes sort of what God has done. There's a couple different versions of, of the rest of chapter 28. Basically, Jacob agrees to give a tenth of everything he has to God. So depending on your translation, it either looks like he's, bar he's bargaining with God uh, or it looks like 
because of what God has done for him, it'll say, since then, I will give you a tenth of everything. So either he's recognizing the provision that God has for him and his life has changed from this moment forward, or he's sort of still kind of being Jacob. He's met God, but he's bargaining with him and saying, so you bless me, and then I'll give you a tenth of everything I have. This is the deal. We're working out, God. I don't know which one really is more accurate of a, of a translation, but either way, Jacob hadn't really changed enough from this point. But there is an interesting piece to this. Jacob had a dream, and the dream was seeing angels ascend and descend on a ladder or like a set of stairs. So he's seeing the angels come up and down this stairway from heaven. So he's seeing how God intervenes with the earth and the angels coming up and down from it. And that's how God intervenes with the earth. And he's noticing that this is the place where God is. And he names it Bethel, which literally means the house of God. The interesting thing about that dream is where you see a reference to it in the New Testament. So in John chapter 1, Jesus is calling some of his disciples, and he calls Philip. And he says, come and see. And then Philip meets Jesus, and he realizes he wants to share this news with his friend Nathaniel. Um, and Philip tells Nathaniel about Jesus, and he says, what good can come from Nazareth, right? It's from Nazareth. Um, but Jesus meets up with them, and picking up in verse 47 of John chapter 1, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Because before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So apparently before Philip and Nathanael were hanging out, Nathanael was underneath the fig tree contemplating something. And Jesus tells him that he saw him there. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So Jacob saw the angels ascending and descending on a stairway Jesus says to Nathanael, you will see the angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Jesus is telling him, I am the connection to heaven. I am the ladder. I am the thing that bridges the gap between heaven and earth. And he states it to him pretty plainly. And so there are some who can have the conjecture that maybe what, what Nathanael was contemplating was the dream that Jacob had. Maybe that was something he read in synagogue that week and was contemplating it under the fig tree. I don't know. But the interesting thing is Jesus says, I am that ladder. I am the stairway. And so you get this dream points to who Jesus is ultimately. So Jacob finds a way to point us to Jesus. Now Jacob is on his way now. He's left Bethel, which on his first day, he traveled about 45 miles because he was looking to get away from Esau. Now things have slowed down a little bit. And he's, he's leaving Bethel, and he's headed to Padan Aram. And he comes across a few shepherds, um, and he asks them, do you know Laban? And they say yes. And then he looks up, and he sees Rachel coming. And he is 
his jaw hits the floor because Rachel's coming. Um, and so he basically, he tries to get the shepherds to leave. Like, here, water your, water your sheep and leave. And they say, we can't do that. We have to wait for all of the livestock to get here so we can just water them all at once and then we can go. And Rachel, I think, is bringing some of the livestock. So Rachel shows up. And what does Jacob do? Verse 11, Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. So he sees her and he kisses her, which is a traditional like Middle Eastern greeting. It wasn't like he did something super weird, um, except for the crying afterwards. But he is so, she's so pretty, he cried. Been there, I guess. Juliet, she's very pretty. But Laban now is hearing from Rachel this testimony that this guy, Rebecca's son, is here. And so Laban says, great, surely he's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Uh, and Jacob stays with him for a month. And at that point, Laban says to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? So he's saying, you're not a servant, you're family. So what should I pay you? And Jacob is very excited at this opportunity. Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So Leah's description changes from translation to translation. Some say her eyes were delicate. Some say her eyes were weak. Um, the New Living Translation says her eyes were beautiful, but Rachel was beautiful completely. So the idea is that if there was anything appealing about Leah, it was only her eyes, and everything was appealing about Rachel. Um, now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. That's a very beautiful sentiment, I think, just in general. Um, but the interesting thing here is what Laban says. <laughs> He's, uh, I don't know if this is exactly how we would talk about our daughters in today's society. Oh, it's better that I give, you to her, give her to you than somebody else. But then he also responds, instead of giving you to another man, uh, stay with me. He doesn't agree to the terms that Jacob gave. He just said, I will give her to you. Stay with me but he doesn't agree to the seven years. So that catches up with him because Jacob serves for seven years and then on their wedding night, he switches the daughters and he puts Rachel in the wedding tent and this is in the middle of the night and she's wearing a veil. Or he puts Leah in the wedding tent instead of Rachel. And this is in the middle of the night, they're wearing a veil. It's not like Jacob was, I don't know, so wrapped up in the moment that he didn't know that there was a switch he really would not have seen her face. And they're sisters, so they might have similar features or build. You know, you don't know. And Laban's a, but so Jacob confronts Laban about this because he's upset. He said, what did you do to me? I served you for seven years and I served you for Rachel. So Laban's response is, it must be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Um, it must not be done. So he's saying, the older daughter needs to be married before I can give you the younger daughter. Um, so fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also in the service 
which you will serve with me still another seven years. And remember we were talking in Revelation and the idea of the week and the week being um, at the wedding, at the end of the wedding feast, the wedding feast would be a week-long ceremony. Um, so I think it's interesting that those two things are conflated here. There's a wedding week, which we've talked about before in the Jewish ceremony, and then he was also serving seven years for Rachel. I mean, I don't know that that really is... Uh, I think it's hard for me to not make that conflation and understand what's happening there, even though I don't see it in commentaries. But the idea is that Jacob, will, he's, he does, he serves another seven years. Now, here's the thing. Abraham had one wife, Sarah, and all of the trouble that Abraham had with his wife had to do with Sarah giving him Hagar to have Ishmael when he acted outside the boundaries of marriage. Isaac had one wife. Rebecca. Now, Abraham did get remarried after Sarah died, but he, he, was, he was a monogamous fellow. Isaac also was monogamous. Polygamy was popular back in these days, but Abraham and Isaac didn't fall prey to it. Esau did, and now so was Jacob, because he was so enamored with Rachel that he was willing to have multiple wives um, just to get to her. And so this wasn't the original intent or design that God has. And Jesus refers to this when they ask him about it in the New Testament. And he points back to Genesis chapter 1 and how Eve was made for Adam. And it was the marriage was for man to leave and cleave to his wife, one wife. Um, so polygamy is not endorsed by the Bible. But polygamy happens. And the Bible is very honest about it. Whenever there's a polygamous relationship, that person always has a lot of trouble. Um, and that is the case here. So he serves for seven years, and he marries Rachel. He gets what he wants. Um, but God is hearing Leah because Leah is unloved. She's just, there's no love for her in the relationship. You even see as she bears sons, because God hears her cry. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And then she conceived again, and she says a similar thing. Now that I have given him two sons, he'll, he'll love me. And this happens again and again. And uh, Leah has four sons. She has uh, Reuben, Simeon, uh, Levi, and, and Judah, all before Rachel is, gets upset, where we pick up in, in chapter 30. Now, Rachel's upset. She doesn't know what to do. She gives her servant, much like Sarah did uh, with, with um, Hagar, Rachel, gives her servant to Jacob to have a son on her, you know, on her accord. And they name him Dan. But it was Rachel's maid. It wasn't Rachel. Um, and then, you know, she has another one, Naphtali. And then Leah's upset because now Rachel has two kids under her name, but even though they weren't born from Rachel, she's like, I'm already unloved. The only thing I had over Rachel was that I was giving kids to Jacob. Um, so Leah does the same thing. She gives her handmaid to Jacob, and she has two sons named Gad and Asher. And so now Leah has six sons, according, you know, under her name, but four actually from, from her womb. Rachel still has none, but she's got two from her handmaiden. And this is all kind of a 
messed up world that they're living in, just competing for Jacob's love and attention and affection. And at this point, Reuben uh, went out into the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field, and he brought them to his mother, Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. So Rachel is so desperate for Jacob's love and attention and to give her the thing she wants to give him, a son from her womb. And she bargains with Leah, and she asks for the mandrakes, and uh, she says, for the mandrakes, I'll let you have Jacob tonight. And then she has another son, Issachar, and then another son, Zebulun, and then she has a daughter named Dinah. So now Leah has eight sons and a daughter to her name, um, and then two from her handmaiden. Rachel still has none, and two from her handmaiden. So she's really upset. But the mandrakes, um, in some places in the Middle East, they're called love apples, and they're meant to be an aphrodisiac and to increase fertility. So this is the idea. This is what this argument was about. They're trying, they're trying to increase fertility. So why did Leah want them? To try to get attention away from Rachel. And Rachel is trying to get them so that she can actually have a kid for Jacob. So at this point, they have 10 boys and a daughter. None of them came from Rachel. In verse 22, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. So she's already prophesying that the Lord will give her another son. And she's so proud of having Joseph. But this whole scene is played out in this battle between Rachel and Leah. And it's so interesting to me that Isaac, or Jacob, tricked Isaac by pretending to be his brother and stealing his blessing. And this was concocted by Jacob's mother, Rebecca. Now he's dealing with his uncle, Rebecca's brother, and he's tricked by having the sister pretend to be the other sister. And he's stuck serving Laban for 14 years, and now this argument has ensued. Now there is something that Isaac did that Jacob didn't do. When Rebekah was barren for a while in Isaac's life, he saw what Rebekah was dealing with, and he prayed for her. Jacob doesn't do that for either Leah or Rachel. He's just frustrated at what's going on in his household. Of course he is. That's what happens with polygamy and jealousy and sibling warfare. And so he doesn't pray. And so God finally acts with the 11th son, and he finally hears Rachel's prayers, but it's still not Jacob's prayers. Now, Jacob at this point is, he's probably dealing with enough in his own household. He's got 11 kids. Laban's been lying to him nonstop for years. And he's basically, I want to get out of here. I just, I need to get out of here. Um, but Laban says to him, but you've been so good for us. We've been so blessed because of you. Will you not stay and work a little bit longer? So he agrees to work with him. Um, for it, again, another, another length of time. But they come to an agreement, and Jacob makes up this agreement to work for Laban. He says, let me pass through all of your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs, and spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages, so my righteousness uh, will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, 
Um, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it's with me. So basically he's saying, I'll take all of the livestock that has imperfections. That's what I want. You can keep all the perfect livestock. And Laban goes, well, that sounds like a good deal. And if any are born from my livestock that end up not being spotted, you can take them. You can consider them stolen and take them. And Laban's like, this is great. But then Jacob goes through a selective breeding process where he continually breeds spotted and <laughs> uh, streaked lambs. And, and he ends up taking all the livestock away from Laban. And he also, they also seem to be stronger than the non-spotted ones. So there's two things here that I think are really interesting. Jacob is the promised one, right? The line through which Abraham's promise will live, that all nations will be blessed through the line of Jacob, where the eventual Messiah will come from. And Jacob's payment for his sacrifice working for Laban is all the imperfect creatures. There's something to that that paints a picture we should, we should notice. But also, because of Jacob's work, the imperfect creatures become stronger than the righteous ones. And Jacob is blessed for this work. And Laban's also upset because finally the wool's been pulled over his eyes. Literally, because it's about sheep. So it gets to a point where they, they have sort of a confrontation and, and Jacob is ready to go. And he just, he leaves. He takes his family with him. He takes his livestock. And they all just go and they flee. Laban is upset. He feels like he's been cheated. He feels like his stuff has been stolen. He's been cheated by Jacob. He's somehow ended up with all the livestock because of his selective breeding process. And he now goes after Jacob and they meet up. And it says, Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? Um, for I might have sent you away with joy and songs with timbrel and harp. He is a liar. And, uh, and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. So it's in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful. So God appeared to Laban. And this is what God told Laban. Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good or bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? So what happened is on the way out, Rachel stole some idols that Laban owned, some statues of false gods. And now Laban is chasing down Jacob and his family. And when it comes down to it, he wants to know why his gods were stolen. First of all, if your gods can be stolen, you need a new set of beliefs. But Rachel stole them. And so Jacob really says, okay, look, I don't know what the deal is with you, but you can look for your gods among all of my stuff. And if you find it and you find who took it, you can kill that person. He doesn't know that Rachel stole them at this point because Rachel's the one that he loves. <laughs> and uh, Laban goes and he searches through all the tents and he doesn't find it. And he searches Rachel's tent and Rachel is sitting on them on her camel's pack. And, uh, Rachel hides them from Laban, so Laban never finds them, and she keeps the gods with them. Now we pick up in verse 41, and this is sort of the resolution between Jacob and, and Laban. He said, I've been with, in your house for 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters, 
and six years for your flock. You have changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has been my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So Jacob is finally calling him out and saying, you've been lying to me from the very beginning, and if it wasn't for God, I would, come, I would have come away with nothing, but God has blessed me, and God confronted you last night. You had a vision of God. And so now they make a covenant, and they all sort of they deal with each other. Um, and this is the last time that Jacob has to deal with Laban, and he probably thanks God for that. But unfortunately, he's been asked to go back home. So now he's leaving one corrupt relative, and he's afraid about another because he's worried about meeting up with Esau on his way back home. Let me pick up in, in chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. So he actually sees the angels of God, and he names that place after that. So Jacob set messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir. So I'm going to skip some of this just for time's sake. But Jacob sends out in front of him a group of servants to meet with Esau. And he basically tells him how much he's acquired. Which you can read that as Jacob bragging to Esau. But that's not really what's going on. Basically, Jacob is sending his servants out in front to meet Esau to let him know, hey, in my time absent, I've been extremely successful. Now, I've taken from you before, but you don't have to worry. I'm not going to take from you anymore. I'm good. I have enough. The servants come back to Jacob and say, Esau is traveling with 400 men. So now he's really scared. Now, he doesn't know why Esau's traveling with 400 men. It's not like Esau already knew that Jacob was on his way back. So there's no reason to believe that he was on his way to hurt Jacob. But Jacob hears this news and it scares him. So what, is, what does Jacob do? The most human thing ever. He decides he's going to split his, all of his servants and his livestock up into two camps. He's going to send one out ahead and then keep one behind. So basically he's saying, this is what's important to me. That will stay close to me. And then the stuff that's not as important will go up front in the first camp. And that way, if Esau attacks them, I still have all the stuff I really care about. So he splits his family up. <laughs> and he basically tells his family who is and who isn't important by doing this. Um, and he sends them off. And now he's by, by himself uh, while everyone else is moving towards home. And let's pick up in, in uh, verse 24. It says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break, breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. And as he wrestled with him, he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, what is it that you ask? Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So Jacob wrestles with God, and he goes all night. 
And uh, his willpower is exceedingly strong. And he's fighting, he's fighting with God, and God touches him on the hip and knocks it out of socket. But he still is holding on for dear life. He won't let go. Now, God's won the fight, but Jacob won't let go because he suddenly he realizes who he's fighting. And he says, won't you, I need you to bless me. And he gets a blessing. He gets a blessing from God, and he gets his name changed. Jacob's been kind of just a shady person his whole life. He's, he tricked his brother. He tricked his father. Then he got tricked by Laban. Then he's tricking Laban. And finally, even though he had this, this moment on his way to meet Rachel in Bethel, and God started to creep into his life, and he started to pray, and he started to understand his relationship with God, he still hasn't been healed from his natural tendencies. And now, Jacob is wrestling with God, and his name is changed from heel catcher or deceiver, which is Jacob, to Israel, which means God's fighter or he who struggles with God. Jacob is now recognized as this person and this nation who has this intimate relationship with God and this struggle with God. And that's part of the blessing that he gets. Now, at this point, Esau finally meets up with Jacob. And, you know, of course, Jacob's worried, but he's on the back of this crazy meeting that he had with God. And it says in verse 4 of of chapter 3, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So all of everything that he was worried about suddenly falls away. Now, as you move to the rest of of this story, as we get to chapter 35, which is where I'm going to head next, but Jacob and Esau seem to be okay. Now, Jacob's family erupts into a mess because as they're together, they have way too much stuff from Esau's. Esau has way too much stuff. Jacob has way too much stuff. They've both been successful. Um, And then there's an issue with their descendants because Dinah gets taken advantage of and raped by some of Esau's family. And uh, Simeon and Levi don't take too kindly to that. Um, And so they basically, they come to an agreement to deal with this whole thing. And they say, look, you just, you all have to be circumcised. And once, once you come under the covenant of circumcision, I'll allow you to marry my daughter. Um, And then all of the descendants want to do the same thing. And they want to marry all kinds of, they want to intermarry. So they said, all right, we'll just get circumcised. So they do, they all of, all these guys get circumcised. And uh, while they are in pain, Simeon and Levi attack them and kill them all. And as you see here in, uh, in chapter, or in verse, verse 25, picking up in, in chapter 34, it says, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem. Uh, his son with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, uh, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all the little ones and their wives, they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, uh, and since I am few in number, they will gather themselves against me and kill me. I shall destroy. Uh, I shall be destroyed, my household and I. Uh, but they said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? So as they moved into Canaan, these groups, are look, he just wanted to be peaceful. Uh, Jacob doesn't really stand up for his daughter. His sons do, but they take it to an extreme. And they pillage and plunder and enslave. 
Uh, and because of that, you'll see in chapter 49 when we get there next week what the return of that was. They sort of lost their ability to take the rights of being the older sons. Um, there's still Reuben, though, who's the firstborn, but he'll lose his blessing soon. So we pick up in, in chapter 35, and this is the last chapter we're really going to dig into today. So then Jacob, God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. So after all this mess, where does God tell him to go? Bethel, back to the house of the Lord, back to the place where he met God. Get yourself right. This is something I think we can all relate to. We've all had struggles. There are times in our life where we lose our passion, where we lose our zeal. We sort of walk away and we're not following God where we want to be. Where, where should we go? Back, back to where we met him. Get, it, get ourselves centered again. God brings Jacob back to Bethel. It says, dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Jacob said this, household, uh, to his household and to all who are with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they, Jacob, they gave Jacob all the foreign uh, gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem and they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob so Jacob came to Luz that is Bethel which is the which is in the land of Canaan and he and all the people who were with him and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there no because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother so now he's calling it he's calling God God of the house of God, El Bethel, God of the house of God. He's saying, that's because God appeared to me here. And so Jacob, the, this is the best part of his story because he has decided as he's going back and he's going to meet God, he's getting rid of all the things that weigh him down. And not only is he doing it, he's telling his family to do it. And so finally, the, the household gods that Rachel stole from Laban, saying, let's get rid of this. We're not gonna worship anything but the one true God. We're gonna leave it all behind as we head to the house of the Lord. We are going to be who we're supposed to be before him. So Jacob has finally completed his journey and his sanctification. He's really starting to really worship God, and he's also setting an example for his family, which he should have been doing all along. So then God appeared to Jacob again. This is verse 9. When he came from Padan Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar at the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stones, and he poured a drink offering on it. He poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. So now it's reiterated again. Your name is no longer Jacob. It is Israel. You are changed. And so all of the chances that Jacob gets, he gets another one. That's the love and the mercy of God. And it's played out in Jacob's life. And you've seen it over and over again. And now Jacob finally gets it. And he's finally really taking ownership of his faith. And it's no longer his father's faith. It's no longer Abraham and Isaac's faith. It's Jacob's faith. And he's teaching his family how to do that. Now, after this, Rachel does have another child, but she dies during childbirth. And she gives the name of the kid, um, calls him Ben-Oni, which is, this is verse 5. Um, I'm sorry, verse 18, Ben-Oni. But 
Jacob renames him Benjamin. So Rachel, as she's dying and has a son, names him Ben-Oni, which is son of my sorrow. But Jacob renames him Benjamin, which is son of my right hand. So he gives him a place of honor. And Jacob really ends up preferring Joseph and Benjamin over the other 10 boys. And this becomes the issue that we'll deal with next week. But Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. So the wife that Jacob loved was buried in the place Jesus was born. Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And points out the 12 sons that Jacob had. I will deal with chapter 36 in just this very brief outline. I'm not going to read through the verses. It's just the descendants of, of Esau. And this is sort of breaking the ties from anything that has to deal with not Israel. Because the rest of the Old Testament really focuses on, on Israel's story. This is sort of the last genealogy that you go through. And this is dealing with the descendants of Esau. Now, this is only important. Well, it's important because God put it in there. But really, Esau was also named Edom. The Edomites were always at the throats of the, of the Israelites throughout their history. And Israel was sort of always winning that battle. Just as Isaac proclaimed in his blessing to Esau that you would always be serving your brother until you break the yoke of his neck. Well, Edom, which is in the southern part of Jordan, was always sort of in this battle between with Israel until a group of people called the Nabataeans took their land from them. The Nabataeans are the one who built the city of Petra and they took in, this, in the area of Jordan and they took on, uh, they kicked the Edomites out of, out of their land. So the Edomites got soaked up into the kingdom of Judah, into the southern kingdom of Judah and Israel. And they were made to live like the Jews when they were kicked out by the Nabataeans. And they were called Idumeans. Um, but they, while they followed the practices of the Jews, they were descendants of Edom. And out of these people came a guy named um, Antipater. And Antipater um, was favored by the Roman government and he was a descendant of Edom. He was favored by the Roman government, and he was given a position of power. And then his son was named the king of the Jews, his son being Herod the Great. And that's when they broke the yoke of the Jews, and they took Herod the Great, became the ruler of the Jews. And uh, that's really the last Edomite there's any historical reference to. But Herod the Great was the one who tried to kill all of the babies in Bethlehem because he heard about a coming Messiah and a coming king. So... The reference there it, into Isaac's blessing of Esau and what he said is fulfilled through the descendants of Esau in Edom and how the Edomites fell into the, the realm of Judah when the Nabataeans kicked them out. And out of that land and out of those people came Herod the Great who broke the yoke of the Jews. Um, but then that was sort of the end of their existence as well. So that's the end of that. But ultimately, the story tonight, as we follow Jacob's story before we head into Joseph, which I'm really excited about because Joseph's story is one that points so clearly and so concisely and directly to Christ that your mind will be blown in a couple of weeks. But Jacob had a, had a couple of moments of his own. The latter, which Jesus referred to himself as when he talked to Nathaniel. The fact that he was willing to take on all of the scarred and imperfect animals from Laban. And he is the, the one who is promised for the descendant, which Jesus is the descendant of Jacob, to come through. So there's a lot in Joseph's story, or in Jacob's story, that point us to the character of God and point us to Christ. 
And the great thing about Jacob is that he's very relatable because his story was a long process in understanding how to follow God and finally understand his own faith. And I think that's a story a lot of us either know someone or can relate to. And uh, the point of that is God isn't a God who gives you one chance. He's a God who loves you and consistently pursues you. And he consistently pursued Jacob even in his mess until he finally got it. So with that, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the story of Jacob. Thank you for your scripture and your word, which pours out onto us your history and what you want us to know so that we can serve you better. God, thank you for continuing to point us in the direction of who the Messiah is so that we can be sure without a doubt that Jesus is our Savior and that we can continually learn that as we study the word from Genesis to Revelation. God, we ask a blessing for this night, for the travels as we head home, uh, and for any of those who listen to this via the podcast, that this would be a blessing to you and helps you understand God better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.